Go ahead and get your Bibles out. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23 this evening. And we're continuing our, our study, that, uh, our series that called Rooted in Christ that we started a few weeks ago. And as you're doing that, as you're getting your Bibles out, I want to ask us a question. I want to start us out here. Um, who in here played a sport in high school? Show of hands. All right. We got a lot. Okay. Got a lot of athletes in here. I, I, I played sports as well in high school. I was a big, big sports guy. In fact, solely I played football. It was my, that was my big sport. Um, I loved it. Right? From, the, from the moment I grew up um, to the time that I, the last game I played, I, I thoroughly enjoyed being a football player. And I grew up in a family where playing football was what men did. Every man in my family, they, they were football players. They all wore a helmet at one point in time in their life. And so um, it was a very big deal. We, we, we eat, we, we breathe football in my family. And so in high school, my goal was to, to make the varsity team, to be a starter on the varsity team, and then eventually play Division I football. That was my, that was my, my dream, my goal. And so as I, as I did that, as I got into high school, for four years, I worked out nonstop. I, I, I trained year-round. Um, I even worked out with a guy who was a former NFL player. Um, his name was Ray Donaldson. He had a Super Bowl ring. He won a Super Bowl with the uh, – he was Troy Aikman Center with the Dallas Cowboys when they won the Super Bowl. And so I, I, I spent all my time with this guy, and uh, he was my mentor. And so when it came to senior year, unfortunately, no D1 offers for Tony, okay, which was not a huge shock. I'm pretty short, and, uh, and I didn't go to a school known for football. And so – I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll go out and I'll, I'll try to get a walk-on spot. And so I start looking for camps summer before my senior year, and I find one at Ball State University. So I sign up for a walk-on spot. You send them over your tape, and, and then you go. And so I, I walk into that, to that tryout, this, this walk-on camp, and I'm super confident. Head the size of this room. I'm like, you know here I am. Like, I've been training all year for this. I've been training for four years for this. I'm, I'm ready. I got a, my mentor is this NFL guy who's great. He taught me all kinds of things and I'm ready to go. And I'm young and a little bit full of myself. And so, yeah, I walk into this thing and, and, and I'm thinking Ball State's about to get this diamond in the rough they've been looking for and barely six foot tall Tony Carter. Right. So I, I'm just, you know, I'm full of myself. I'm ready to go. So as I go into this camp, though, <clears throat> I, I walk in, all the, all the linemen, the O-linemen and D-linemen, they're all huddled together, and I walk in and start talking to some of the guys, and I realize that Ball State is also using this camp to try to woo over some guys who have already signed with another D1 school that they really, really want. And so I'm surrounded by these scholarship players all of a sudden, and all these dudes are huge. And I'm like, all right, okay, this is good, right? I'm gonna, about to show them... What I got here, I'm, I get to go up against some, some real D1 talent. So it comes time for the very first hitting drill, which is one-on-ones. So if you don't know anything about football or, or being a lineman, the, our one-on-ones are D lineman, O lineman. He's got to run through me. I got to block him. And so you're on an island. Like the, the whole, all the scouts, all the other players, all the coaches, they're just looking at you one-on-one. So I get up to it's my turn, and the guy I go up against is probably – don't is definitely the largest high school football defensive tackle I've ever seen in my life. Now, he's solid 6'6", about 300 pounds. I'm sitting here at, 
you know, really 5'11 and three quarter, if I'm honest. The roster says six foot, but I'm trying to get up there. <laughs> so, you know, barely, you know, two, 270, ready to go. And this kid is, he's massive. And, and so I get down, coach gets behind me, down, set, hit. And when the whistle goes off, I can't, if I'm saying I got destroyed, I mean, this guy toppled me. I mean, he was massive. He was bigger than me. He was faster than me. He was stronger than me. I literally got embarrassed. And to tell you the truth, he flipped me, like literally flipped me over. This kid was so fast, so big, so strong, he was way out of my league. I found out later that he was a already full-ride scholarship commit to Bowling Green. He was the top player in his region in Kentucky where he lived. And he was, they were, Ball State was trying to woo him to get him over to jump ship to them. And they used poor old me to kind of build his confidence up, I think, maybe. But anyway, as I was getting up from the dirt, I remember looking at my dad. My dad was there with me. And I think he was kind of thinking, I'm not really sure if my son is D1 caliber, but we're about to find out. And we did the hard way. So I look over at my dad. He just smiled and gave me one of these. (laughs) I learned very quickly and very hard I wasn't a D1 caliber athlete. These guys that were here, that were at this camp, they were way up here, and I was way down here. This guy I was up against, he was a superior football player. In all things football, he was above me. Physically more superior than I was. He was bigger, he was faster, he was stronger. He was more supreme at this sport than I was. The perfect word to describe his talents compared to mine is the word superior. And another word for superior is preeminent. Right? We would say that, that this guy from Bowling Green, who maybe went and played the NFL, I don't know, I really hope so, it would make me feel a lot better about myself. <laughs> this guy was more superior, he was more preeminent than me at this sport. So, in our text today, we're going to be really looking at this word preeminent. All right, today in our text, the real reason we're here not to hear that story, is to look at what Paul's going to talk about today is the preeminence or superiority of Jesus. Now this word preeminent means surpassing all others or to be above all others. And Paul's going to show us today in the text that Jesus is superior, that Jesus is above all others. This section of text is going to show us, uh, or Paul's going to set the stage here for everything else he's got to say in the rest of this letter to the Colossians. This section of text sets the bar for everything Paul is going to say this point forward in this series in Colossians. And in this section of the letter to the Church of Colossae, Paul's composing a poem. So this text is written in the form of a poem. And this poem is just purely here to describe the supremacy of Jesus. And so why is Paul doing this? Well, if we remember, if we do a quick recap, if you weren't here with us a few weeks ago when we started this study in Colossians, we discussed a few Sundays ago that that Paul wrote this letter around 60 AD, that he wrote it while he was in prison in Rome, and he's writing it to the church in Colossae. Now, we remember that he didn't plant this church. It was a guy named Epaphras who heard the gospel, what most theologians think was he heard it in Ephesus when Paul was preaching in Ephesus. He, he was changed, transformed by the gospel, became an ambassador of Christ, went back to his hometown of Colossae and started to spread the gospel there. And from that, this church was born. 
And so we also learn that Paul's writing this letter in response to an issue that the church is having in Colossae. And the issue is this, that very influential but false teachers have worked their way up into the church in Colossae. And these teachers are teaching against Jesus and against his gospel. And this is the age of knowledge. right? So they were teaching knowledge over faith. Specifically, they were questioning the origins of the world. Right, the foundation of the earth, the origins of time, they were questioning all of these things. And they were pushing different religions like paganism or the, the worship of multiple gods. And they were pushing people to worship idols and even angels. And so this teaching that was infiltrating this church was pulling the people of Colossae away from the gospel. Away from the true gospel of Jesus. And so what's happening here is that these teachers, they're really questioning the deity of Jesus. Paul, in this text today, is going to shut down every bit of that heresy. He's going to show us one centralized idea. What we call the big idea of this text is this. Paul's going to show us that Jesus is the one true God. Now, he's going to show us there is no one else, there is no other God bigger than Jesus. There is no other man bigger than Jesus. And Paul's going to really hammer this point home to the church at Colossae and to us. What we are going to see today as a church is this. In order to be a people rooted in the gospel, rooted in the gospel of Jesus, we have to have a solid understanding of who Jesus is and what his gospel is. So we're going to break that down today. We're going to look at that first question. Who is Jesus? Read with me, starting in Colossians 1, verse 15. Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Paul's saying here is he's describing who Jesus is. And what Paul's saying is this in his first point today. Jesus is before and above all things. Right? He is fully God. He's saying he is before and above all things. So Paul's telling us that Jesus is supreme. He is he's bigger than than these philosophers. He's bigger than these pagan gods. He's greater than man's wisdom. He's greater than man's understanding. And he's laying it down thick in this first section of this text. He's pushing back hard on these heretics, guys. He's pushing back on, on everything that they're trying to infiltrate here in the church in Colossae. He's saying Jesus is before and above all things. In fact, look, look at the way that he describes Jesus. Look at the titles that Paul uses to describe who Jesus is. Let's, let's, let's pull these out. Let's, uh, let's pull out the descriptive words Paul uses here in this section of text. He starts off by saying this. He's the image of God. Right, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. So he's God in the flesh. He's real, he's living, he's breathing. He's God in the flesh. He goes on to say... He's the firstborn. Now for us, being the firstborn doesn't really mean a lot in our context today. 
Um, I can vouch for that. I'm the firstborn, and I think most of the responsibility falls on me, but a lot, a lot of the benefit, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but in this ancient culture, the firstborn son was the inheritor of their father's estate, the entire estate. And so we're being told here that Jesus is the supreme ruler. He's the inheritor of everything that was created. But why? He's the inheritor of everything that's created because he is the creator. Right? Paul says right here that all things are made through him and for him. He was before all things. He's the sustainer of all things. Paul says he's the head of the church. Right? He's the head of the body of people who are following him. He's the direction. He's the beginning. And he is all these things because... Verse 19, he is the place where the fullness of God dwells. Read with me again in verse 19. It says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Because all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him, he is preeminent. He is all these things because he is the one true God. Now, we don't have to just take Paul's word for this. We can find this same information in other places in the Bible. Let's look at a different account. We'll, we'll, we'll go back to John. Okay, and we'll have it on the screen here for you so you don't have to flip. Um, let's look at the account from someone other than Paul. Let's look at John's account. The Apostle John, look what he says about Jesus in, his, in the first chapter of his gospel. In John 1, Paul, or John says, I'm sorry, In the beginning was the Word, Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And John continues on in his book later in the New Testament, in 1 John. He goes on by saying this, that which was, was, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and listen to this church. John says, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. So John's telling us here, I have seen God himself, like I've touched him, and I've walked with him. He, walks, he walked amongst us. And what we're seeing here is confirmation through John that Jesus is the true image of the invisible God. Right? He is the creator and he is real. Right? He's not a statue or idol to worship and he's not an idea. He's not a, a form of thinking. Right? He was a living, he is a living, breathing God. And if we go back to what Paul's saying in, in Colossians 1... He's addressing a people who are being led astray. Remember, they're being led astray by these philosophical thinkers who are questioning the beginnings of the earth, the beginnings of time. And Paul's saying, Jesus was before all of it. Jesus is the creator. We don't place our faith in our feelings or our own wisdom or wisdom and knowledge passed down to us from, from other generations. We place our faith... In the source of everything that was ever created in heaven and on earth. And so I want to ask us, as we think about this today, 
Have we, have we rooted ourselves in this truth? Like as we sit in our seats, we think about how we follow Jesus, what we think of Jesus. Have we rooted ourselves in this truth? Like, are you aware or do you realize that the day you became a Christian, you were following the one true God? If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, think about that. At the next time you want to put your faith in anything else in the world, the next time you hear anything that's influential to you that, that makes you change the way you feel, the next time you want to reach for something to fill you when you're scared or nervous or, or you're, you're having a desire, when you reach for that thing in the world, you have to remember and be reminded from this text that Jesus is the sustainer of all things. He's preeminent. He is supreme. He is superior. He created all things, and he is the sustainer of all things. And he sustains you in every way and in every need. Because he is the one true God. And because he is the one true God, because he holds all these titles that we just broke into, that Paul just described for us, because he reigns over all things, it is only by his hands and his will that we can be saved. Now, if you're sitting here and thinking, what do we need to be saved from? You know, why do we need to be saved? I think most of us know the answer to this, but, but it's very clear here. Paul makes it very apparent what it is we need to be saved from. Read with me in verse 20 through 22. Paul says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And he says, In you... Who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Our second point this evening is that is this Jesus is the only true Savior. Paul says that we were alienated. We were hostile in mind. We were doing evil deeds. And Jesus can reconcile us from that. Essentially what Paul's saying here is this. God is good. God is just. We know that from the entirety of the text. And you, mankind, including myself, are hostile and sinful. And God must give you just punishment because he is a just God. Paul in Romans 5 calls us enemies of God. Right? So us as followers of Jesus, this is going to knock us down a few notches. Right? We are enemies of God. In our sinful ways, we become God's enemy. And the only way we can be seen blameless, the only way we can, we can be at peace in this war between sinful man and God, the text states, is through the blood of his cross. Through Jesus In my studies this week, to prepare for this sermon, I ran across uh, this line in, in the MacArthur New Testament commentary that I, I want to share with you. It was super impactful and super sobering to me. And I'll, I'll read it now. It'll be behind me on the screen as well. John says this, There is also God's side to reconciliation. From his holy perspective, his just wrath against sin must be appeased. Far from being the harmless tolerant grandfather that many today imagine him to be. 
God takes vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. Let that soak in for just a second. In our sinful ways, that's what we deserve. But Paul tells us here, the word of God tells us that we can be reconciled from those ways through Jesus. He's going to show us how here. Read with me in verse 23. Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's stating here that in order to be fully reconciled, our faith must be rooted in the gospel of Jesus, period. It has to be strong in the gospel of Jesus. Our faith has to be placed, our trust must be placed in Jesus and what he did on the cross to reconcile us. And church, we cannot and will not waver from that truth that Jesus is the only way. Hear me again. Jesus is the only way we can be reconciled. That's what the Word's telling us today. Without putting our faith in Jesus for our own eternal life, we cannot be saved. When we truly put our trust in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for our sins... We will have eternal life with and through him and only him. That's what Paul's telling this church at Colossae. They're saying nothing else that's being brought into this building, nothing else is being brought into these people, all these thoughts, all these theories, everything from the world that you're hearing in Colossae. Jesus is the only way. And you have to be a church. Paul's telling the church in Colossae, you have to be a church rooted in that statement. He's saying the true mark of a person that has been eternally saved is their stable and steadfast hope in the gospel of Jesus. You must be rooted in the gospel of Jesus. We must be a church that's rooted in the true gospel of Jesus. And we live in a world, guys, where the, the truth is fading. Truth is whatever we want it to be now. It can be anything. There's no relevance of truth now. And we're being pulled in every direction to trust in ourselves and our own will, to trust in our own government, to trust in our own feelings, our own understandings, to trust in the wisdom of men who are being, we're being told are smarter, more educated, no more. And as followers of Jesus, we have to step back and say, I put my faith in Jesus. Through his word and in his gospel, the one true God is where my faith lies. Because he is preeminent, because he is the one true God, I put my trust in him. That's the conviction we have to have today, right now. If you're in this room right now and you're questioning this at all, your trust has, in order to live eternally, your trust has got to be put in Jesus. And as you sit in your seat right now, I want to ask this. As we walk through this week, I want you to continue to ask yourself these questions this week. Is Jesus the one true God of my life? Is Christ supreme in my life? Is he above all else? Or is there another idol that I turn to? Do I turn to money or my job or, or that person or that thing? Do I turn to pornography? Do I turn to, to food? Do I turn to lust? Do I turn to anything else above Jesus? 
Is he supreme in your life? Are you rooted in the good news that Jesus took the death that you deserved so you could be seen as holy and blameless? If you are doing this, if this is a truth in your life, if you are rooted in the gospel, this should lead us to worship, guys. Worshiping Christ. Not just on Sunday. Every single day, it should lead us to worship. We should worship Jesus for his preeminence. Worship him for the creation of everything that we see, everything we don't see, everything ever made, everything created, including us. The gospel should lead you to abide in Jesus. If you're rooted in the gospel, you're abiding in Christ. You're walking with him. It should push you, based on his actions alone and your behalf on the cross, to follow him as intimately as possible in your life. And I want to leave us with this. As we're thinking about that this week, as we're being influenced and pushed and pulled from social media or TV or people at work or whatever, know this, write this on your heart today. We settle on the unshakable truth that Jesus is the one true God. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for this message you've given us, God. We thank you, Jesus, for the message that you've given Paul, the truth here, God. We thank you for the fact that in all your preeminence and all your supremacy, God, that you chose not only to create us, but, Father, to die for our sins. Lord, you're the same God who, who created everything. You're so powerful, and yet you still decided to come down and die for our sins. You removed yourself from your throne, you became human, and you died for our sins, Father. We glorify you. We praise you for all of that right now, Father. As a church, God, as we're gathered together to worship you, Father, and to be in your word, Father, we just want to glorify you in that, Lord. We worship you, Father, because of who you are, because of what you did on the cross, God. We're nothing without you. There is no hope without you, Jesus. We praise you as a, as a people, God. So I pray for everyone in here this week, God, if they're struggling. Jesus, if they're, if they're looking for truth and answers in your word, Father, that you lead them to this one fact that you are preeminent over everything. You are the ruler of everything. You're in control of their lives. Father, I pray that we be a people that hits their knees for you and ask and begs for your will and only your will to be done in our lives. Father, lead us. Lead us in our, in our lives. Lead us in our evangelism, the way that we speak about you, the way that we live our lives, the way we abide in you. Father, we just pray that you would push us in the right direction, shove us in the right directions this week, that you would speak through us, God, as believers, to proclaim you. And Father, our heart only be dedicated as we walk through this week to glorifying you. Out in the world, at home, in work, wherever we are, Father, wherever our feet stand, we are here to glorify you, Father. So we love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen.